0: man, Brothers and sisters, please remain standing and turn in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah. Hi. Thanks for listening. Welcome the to the, the New Covenant like Presbyterian we our Church, church Sermon Podcast, a 5, congregation 6, of the Orthodox through Presbyterian through Church, the OPC, in the San Francisco instrument. Bay Area. If you've benefited from this ministry, no to give your your attention to the reading We'd of We'd like to make Holy you aware word. of our new capital campaign to build a new building. God has recently blessed us Thus with growth says "The Lord here at new covenant. Keep over the years our church has been dull and this my overall salvation things have been is about to financially and, and my righteousness to be revealed." Now by the grace of blessed God we blessed. the man who does this? We believe it wise and, the and light The son of man to think who about lays hold on it to facilitate more. Who keeps more growth. from defiling our the building sabbath only seats and keeps his hands from doing any, more any evil? Do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speaking saying, "The Lord has separated me from his people." God let to the unit say here be I am a dry we can be able tree able to help other for thus one of the things the that Lord, we want to the is a you church that is able to look sabins sabins beyond itself and choose for the sake what pleases me and, and hold we fast like I believe that this new building can help us even to them and I so, will so we are give praying my that God house would within my walls a place and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off ourselves also, the sons know, of the foreigner are joined themselves is a very to the Lord place. to serve Him. There is a great to the, need of the light of the to gospel, love the to name of the Lord, to be His servants. Everyone you know, who keeps the from defiling the, the Sabbath so holds fast my and covenant, to, to support even them to see this I will new bring built, to my holy mountain. Please consider giving and make a financial gift to this city. You can give by sending the sacrifices that will be accepted on the way to the Lord. You can also give by sending the money to this who as gathers as the outcasts of Israel says, at "Yet I will gather to him building others in the besides those." May God bless you with greater knowledge of him. His Word and zeal Thus for His Thus far, brothers and sisters, the reading of God's Word. You may be seated. Let's ask now for God's blessing on the preaching of His Word. Oh, Father, how we do thank you for the hope of the gospel. How we do thank you for these great and wondrous words that have been given to us by Isaiah. And Lord, we know that the, the preaching of your word gives life. So is what your word, your, your word says. And yet it is not the preaching by itself. For Lord, we remember the, the vision of the dry bones that was given to Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 37 where it was, the question was put to him, Ezekiel, can these bones live? And the answer is, O oh Lord, you know. You are the one who knows. And you then pro- commanded him to prophesy over the bones. And it was while he was prophesying that then the Spirit blew over the bones and gave life. Lord, you have called me even now to prophesy and to speak forth Your Word. Lord, how I do pray that You would grant that through Your Spirit that life would be given, that the bones, that the dead bones would be brought to life, that it would not just be a dead word, O God, but that the preaching of Your Word would be accompanied by Your Spirit. For Lord, we we know that without Your Spirit, uh, there is no good that can come. So Lord, we do pray Bless now the preaching of your word, and do it for the sake of the glory and honor of your name, that your name might be worshipped and praised. For we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Well, brothers and sisters, over the coming months, we're going to be looking at this uh, last section of Isaiah. I thought it would be uh, fitting for us to, to take a break from uh, Matthew. We had a natural uh, stopping point with Christmas, and now, uh, now we're into the new year. So we're going to be looking at this this last section of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 56, all the way to the end of the book, and uh, I trust it will be a a blessing and a benefit to you. Um, Isaiah really is a glorious book. It is... uh, it is a, a wondrous thing even to even think about being able to preach parts of it. Um, it is often called the fifth gospel because of the amount that it speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ. And even we see uh, in the second part of Isaiah, you could take this, the second part of, you know, from chapter 40 all the way to the end of the book or to chapter 55, however it's divided, or some take it to 57. But either way, there is in this part of Isaiah... Uh, So many passages that speak of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, so much that we can learn of him, so much even about the glory of the restoration of the people of God, the hope that is uh, given for the people of God. And even what we will find, one of the main themes of Isaiah chapter 56 all the way to 66 is the theme of the new creation. This is one of the things that we see, uh, particularly in this end of Isaiah, the way Isaiah ends his book, is that the, the hope of the coming of the Messiah, even in the Old Testament, um, is, is so focused on his work producing a new creation that the people of God, what they, what they are expecting is uh, nothing short of eternal life in the presence of God. The restoration of everything that was uh, lost in Eden. Uh, there is so much glory of Christ. There is so much glory of the new creation. So much glory for the people of God. So many sins that are addressed so directly in light of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, therefore, I, I, I think it will be uh, a great blessing to, to you, to, to the church to consider uh, the end of Isaiah's great book. Now here we have uh, the beginning of this section, Isaiah chapter fifty-six, verses one through eight, where we have uh, a wonderful, a wonderful passage about the hope of the gospel for those who were thought to have been excluded from it. Uh, there and and there is a, a natural sense in which these kinds of uh, of passages they, they resonate with our hearts. Uh, we we even apart from the Bible have a a natural tendency to see these kinds of stories as beautiful and glorious, that those who were outcast, those who were overlooked, uh, those who were outsiders, that they are then included, that they are they are shown grace and mercy and elevated uh, in in that way. Uh, we think of one of the classic ones is the story of Cinderella, the story of you know obviously a young a young maiden who. Uh, ends up with the, the, the prince who expected nothing for herself and yet, was, yet received everything. We even call stories that are like that, Cinderella stories. And what Isaiah is emphasizing here in, in Isaiah 56 in this passage is that this really is the story of the gospel. This is the story of the gospel. It is, the gospel is the good news for those who have been overlooked. It's the good news for those who are outsiders. And the message of hope is this. It doesn't matter if you are a widow or an orphan. It doesn't matter if you are overlooked by this or that person. If you're the lowest part of society, if you've got no power, if there's even ways in which you've been excluded from the people of God for for whatever reason, even if there are past sins. The message of the gospel is for anyone who turns, anyone who turns, you will have everlasting life in the presence of God. That is the great message of the gospel. And so there can be, there can be times, I think we're, we're, I think we're moving into times where uh, this kind of message will be even more applicable. We are living in times where uh, sins are being committed that are so heinous. People fall into these patterns of sins uh, without without even recognizing sometimes like the, 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 the deceitfulness of those sins. And there can be a, a hardening where, where the question is asked, there's no way God could be merciful to me. Could, could, could a God really be merciful to someone like me who's done so many of these things? I've, I've done so many of these things. Can God be merciful even to someone like me? And the answer that is given in this text is yes. Uh, if you are a foreigner, even if you are a eunuch, if you will but turn. If you will but turn, there is salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ because God will gather all the faithful into his house, even the outsider, even the outsider. And that is the way in which uh, Isaiah opens this glorious section of of his book, the the very last section that will close out uh, his glorious prophecy. Now, we're going to look at this text under two headings. We're going to consider first what faithfulness to the Lord looks like so one of the things that is important to keep in mind with regard to this text is it is, it is hope for all, but it is hope for all who turn, a hope for all who, who are in fact faithful to the Lord. And so Isaiah is exhorting to, uh, the people to faithfulness. If you, if you will but turn, it doesn't matter what kind of person you are. So we'll look at what that faithfulness actually looks like, how Isaiah defines it in verses 1 and 2, and then we'll look at uh, the outsiders who are, who are brought in in verses 3 through 8. And there are two that are mentioned specifically, and that is the eunuch in verses, uh, verse the second part of verse three through verse five, and then the foreigner in verses six and seven. So look with me again at verses one and two, where you'll notice that that the, the passage actually begins with uh, begins with exhortations. It, it begins with commands, and this actually frames the first two verses. So they... they it, Isaiah begins and ends with these uh, commands. And then in the middle, he gives the uh, the reasons why you should keep the command. So he says, keep justice and do righteousness. So that's the first commandment. Then reason for my salvation is about to come and my righteousness to be revealed. Then again, another reason. Blessed is the man who does this. So there, there's a blessing for those who, who are so faithful. And the son of man who lays hold in it who, and then description of what that faithfulness looks like again, keeps from defiling the Sabbath and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Now, there are two things that we are to keep in mind about the way in which Isaiah is defining faithfulness here. You'll note first that it is characterized by obedience to the law of God. It is characterized by, by obedience to, to the law of God. Uh, there are some who will say things like uh, the Old Testament was about law, the New Testament is about grace, and therefore we are to, you know, we, we are to, the people had to keep the law in the Old Testament, but now in the New Testament we are, are no longer bound by the law. And yet this is not what Isaiah is speaking about. He's actually, uh, he's speaking about an obligation that uh, will, uh, that lasts from his time even into uh Uh, even into the time of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We we know this even from the the second part of the the verse. My salvation is about to come. We will see from the context, and and very clearly this is the case from what what precedes it, that the salvation that he is speaking of is the salvation of the Messiah. So the Messiah comes, and faithfulness is still defined by obedience to to the law of God. Uh, Christ himself, we'll, we'll quote from the end of this text, about uh, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations as the, the, um, the, the promise that was given to those who are the outsiders, clearly applying then to the time when the Lord Jesus Christ is, is around, uh, the New Testament time. And yet, uh, in that context, Isaiah still is defining faithfulness to the Lord by obedience. It doesn't mean that we are saved by our good works. Of, of course, uh, the Old Testament never taught that anyway. But it does mean that those who do trust in the Lord, they display the genuineness of their trust in God by their obedience to the law of God. They are obedient to God's commandments. Now, one of the things that, the second thing that you'll note about this is that it is obedience to the law of God as a whole, but you'll note that throughout this text, there is one law in particular that Isaiah highlights. There's one particular law that he highlights. And it said it said it several times in the text. The first time is in verse 2. It's the only commandment that is specifically named, apart from other general exhortations to obedience. And that is the commandment to keep the Sabbath. Keeping the Sabbath. Notice, and at the end of verse 2, blesses the man who does this, who keeps from defiling the Sabbath. And then uh, all the outsiders that are, that are described, uh, the eunuch and the foreigner, Uh, In verse 4, the eunuch, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths. Also then the the foreigner, verse 6, also the sons of the foreigner who join themselves to the Lord, who serve him to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath. Everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath. So it's said over and over again, three times in this text, it is emphasized that Those who are faithful to the Lord are those who keep the Sabbath, who keep the fourth commandment. This is to say that there is a special importance that is given uh, to the fourth commandment, which leads us to to ask the question, uh, two things. Uh, One, why? Why is the fourth commandment so important? Why is is the commandment to keep the Sabbath day holy so so important? And then two, what, what actually is entailed in keeping the Sabbath day holy? We'll we'll look at these in in reverse order. First, uh, looking at um, what what actually does it mean to keep uh, the Sabbath. And this is where it's important to to understand the the language of the fourth commandment and also um, the the nature of the commandment, the nature of what it actually looks like to keep this commandment. This will help us to see its importance as well. Uh, it It is sometimes said today that keeping the fourth commandment is taking a break from your work for an entire day out of seven. The emphasis is on rest from your labors. And you know, if, you, if you take a, a regular day off, one out of seven, then you've kept the, the fourth commandment. And this is it's, it's something of a, a personal reset, something like that. Uh, that, however, you'll note, is not actually the language of the command. If you were to just, just remember, what, what is the language of the command in, in Exodus chapter 20 and in Deuteronomy chapter 5? The language of the command. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy. And then in that context, one of the things that you are to do in, in order to keep it holy is you are to rest from your labors, one day out of seven. So you are to labor six days, six days uh, you are to labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. It is not, it's not just a day of rest. It's certainly not to be a day where you uh, pursue your own leisure. It, that's not the purpose of the day. The purpose of the day is it is a Sabbath to God. It is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And therefore, the, the whole purpose of the commandment is not that you would simply order your, your life so that you can rest one day in seven. You are ordering your life so that the rest that you take, the one day in seven, can then be devoted to God. That is to say, uh, if therefore, if, if you were to say, you know, I've, I've, I've been faithful in stopping my work one day out of seven, and I don't work on Sundays. But then let's say then you never come to church. You're, 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 never, you're never worshiping the Lord. Then, then you, you haven't even begun. You have not even begun to keep the fourth commandment. And everything that has happened is yet still a breaking of the fourth commandment. What, what God desires, what, what God has commanded in the fourth commandment is that we keep the entire day holy. We keep the entire day holy. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Uh, good, a good illustration of this that may be helpful is uh, it's very much like uh, a husband and a wife who are um, trying to set aside regular date time. And the purpose of setting aside that time and really guarding it very carefully is for the sake of, of the relationship. Uh, because they love each other, they're going to say, you know, six days, I will do all this, this work, but there's one day that I'm going to give to you. And that day we will spend it together. We will we will guard it. We'll not let anything intrude on it, and it will be a time for us to to have a communion fellowship to grow the relationship. If if therefore uh, you come to that day and you are putting down all of your work, but then going to play golf or something like that, and you're you're just you're 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 leaving your spouse then you, you've, not, you've not begun. You've not begun to fulfill the purposes of the day because the day was set apart for the two to, ha- to come together and to have the time of fellowship. And brothers and sisters, this is the thing that we see in the fourth commandment. And the reason why the fourth commandment is so important, God has given us the fourth commandment because it is the day that we are to rest from all other things in order to have communion and fellowship with God. That is the purpose of the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. And this is the reason why we see the importance of it. And you see this all throughout the prophets. It's especially going to be true in this section of Isaiah, uh, which we'll see is, is a, a fitting thing. But if the day, if the purpose of the fourth commandment is communion with God, then we immediately can see its significance and its relevance. And even um, what, what some authors have pointed out is that the Sabbath, keeping the Sabbath is in very many ways... The, the capstone of keeping the entire first table of the law. You remember that the, the, the Ten Commandments, the law of God, can be summarized as loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. Those are the first two great commandments, and they are a summary of the Ten Commandments. We typically understand the first, the, 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 the first and great commandment is a summary of the first four commandments. And so, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the summary of the first four commandments. And then the summary of the next six commandments are uh, loving your neighbor as yourself. So, there's loving God and there's loving others. And uh, the fourth commandment is the the last command of the the commands that are related to loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And as, again, as some have, have pointed out, it is in many ways the capstone of the entire first table. Now, why would that be the case? Well, the answer is because if we think about the first four commandments, the first commandment, if you're asking, what, what, what in very simple language is required in the first commandment? What, what, what are we doing in the first commandment? The first commandment requires that you have the true God as, as your God. It involves worshiping and serving the one true God. You must worship and serve the real God. The second commandment speaks about how you do that. How, how are you to do that? Are you to do it by uh, idols, by the inventions of men, or are you to do it according to the word of God? And the answer that is given is obedience to the second commandment is you're going to worship the right God, first commandment, in the way in which God has commanded, which is the second commandment. And then you may, then the third commandment deals with your heart in worship. So if you do, if you worship the right God in the right way but with the wrong heart, it's not going to be acceptable to God. The last thing that is needed for the worship to be actually acceptable to God is that it must be done according to the heart. You cannot take the name of the Lord your God in vain. If you're going to speak his name, and use his name in worship, it must be done with all due reverence given to it. It must be done with a true fear of the Lord. Your your heart must be pure in the worship of God. You'll note then that the first three commandments, in terms of the keeping of them, are predominantly related to the worship of God. What does it look like to keep the fourth commandment? What does it look like? It's very simply keeping the first three commandments on the Lord's day. It It is very simply having the right God, worshiping him in the right way with the right heart on the day that God has set aside. And therefore, a zealous keeping of the fourth commandment is a capstone of the entire entire first table. If you fail to keep the Lord's day, if you fail to keep the Sabbath, you are of necessity breaking the entire first table of the law. And on the contrary, if you keep the fourth commandment, you are of necessity keeping the first three commandments of the law. And in this way then, in terms of thinking about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, what is the, what is the practical thing that you could see in the life of a person that would show this person is really growing in, in his or her obedience to God with regard to the first table, that this is someone who really is growing in love for God? What, what would be the evidence in the person's life? The answer is keeping the Lord's day. It is keeping the fourth commandment, it is, it is seeing someone that is devoted to the worship of God. Uh, now, there's another reason why I think Isaiah highlights this command in this context. As I mentioned, as we'll see in the weeks to come, um, this, this ending of Isaiah is just tremendously glorious in the way in which it describes the new creation. Uh, even some of the language of Revelation comes directly from this section of Isaiah. And it's, it's, it's wondrous in the way in which, it's, in, in which it's described. And it's fitting, therefore, if there is a relationship between Sabbath and creation, as there surely is in six days, God created the earth, the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and therefore, and rested on the seventh day, therefore you are to keep the Sabbath day as well. There's a connection between Sabbath and creation. So too, then, it is fitting that there be, uh, in this section of Isaiah, some of the strongest exhortations with regard to the Sabbath are also found in connection with, a path, with passions that deal so directly with the new creation. And this is the, the same thing that the author to the Hebrews is pointing out in Hebrews 4, uh, that there remains a Sabbath observant, a Sabbath rest for the people of God. That is to say, when, when we gather together to keep the Lord's Day, what we are recognizing is that all things have been made new in the Lord Jesus Christ. And even as all things have been made new in Him, so too we're waiting for that full consummation. And there is this connection between keeping the Lord's Day now and our anticipation of that full fellowship that we will receive in the new creation. That is to say the, 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 the Sabbath and creation are always linked and also new creation and new Sabbath, you could call it, Lord's Day worship rather than Saturday worship, Sunday worship. That those two things are connected. That, that new creation and the worship of God on the Lord's Day are in fact uh, connected. And this is what we see in Isaiah as well as in uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 4. And therefore, in, in Isaiah 56, in this text, uh, Sabbath observance is the great evidence of covenant keeping. It is the great evidence that a person loves the Lord. And so the question then, brothers and sisters, is, uh, very simply, as we, we, we speak about what faithfulness is, are you keeping God's covenant in this way? Do you have a desire to keep the Lord's day? And this would be not just, uh, not just the morning. The, the commandment is not to keep the Sabbath morning Holy, the, the commandment says to keep the entire day holy. Uh, six days you shall labor and do all your, your work, but the seventh day, the entire day, is a, is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Uh, it, is, it ought to be every Christian's great desire to say with the psalmist, as he says in Psalm 113, from the rising of the sun to its going down, let the name of the Lord be praised. Uh, brothers and sisters, this is the reason why it's so important uh, to come back and to uh, f- complete the day in worship for, for the evening. There's the reason why historically this has been uh, the practice of the Reformed Church in every, uh, in every age going back centuries, that we begin and end the day in worship. We bookend the day in worship. We come in the morning to declare His faithfulness and to declare His steadfast love in the evening because we are keeping the entire day uh, holy. This is, uh, this is the command that is given in the Scriptures, and this is, this is what faithfulness to God looks like. As Isaiah has defined it. Now you'll notice, then further, there, is, there are reasons for it that are given. Verses, uh, the, the second part of verse one, Isaiah says, For my salvation is about to come. As I mentioned, this very, very clearly is a reference to the salvation that comes through the Messiah. If we had the opportunity to preach through the previous sections of Isaiah, it would be abundantly clear. It will be clear as well as we move from this point forward that this is, in fact, the case that Isaiah here is speaking of the salvation that comes through the Messiah. And the point is, is that, you know, in light of the coming of the Messiah, you are to keep the, 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 the Sabbath day. But brothers and sisters, how much more is it the case for us? Um, if, if, if Isaiah's exhortation is, uh, keep justice and do righteousness for my salvation is about to come, the exhortation in the New Testament is, keep justice and do righteousness for my salvation has come. And you are already the participant in the new creation itself. You already have this great foretaste. Uh, Therefore, uh, keep the Sabbath day holy and keep your hand from doing any evil. This is the exhortation that is given. And notice even further, Isaiah says um, it's not to be a, a wearisome burden for you because what he says is that everyone who does this is blessed. Verse 2, blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who, who lays hold in it, who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Uh, the, the commandments of God are not burdensome to any of us because the keeping of God's commandments, the keeping of God's commandments carry with it their own blessing. And just to, to understand how far this blessing goes, to whom it might be applied, the rest of the passage Isaiah gives a, a detailed explanation that it can apply to anybody, anybody, anybody. And he does this by pointing out two people, two kinds of people in particular, that would have had the greatest claim to think, you know, perhaps the grace of God is not going to come to me. And he does this with the eunuchs and the foreigners. Now, the reason for this is because um, if you go to Deuteronomy chapter 23, for instance, these are the kinds of people that were excluded from the assembly. Uh, In in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1, a eunuch cannot enter the house of God. He cannot enter the house of God. And... The foreigners, then, there are certain foreigners, Ammonites, Moabites, that sort of thing, uh, who, who could not enter to a certain generation. And therefore, if you were, let's say you are a eunuch, even in the Old Testament, and you're wondering, you know, will the Lord accept me? I read these things in the, book of, in the books of Moses. Is it, is it true that the grace of God could even come to me? I by, I, by what has happened to me, am unclean and cannot enter even the house of God. What, what then could I do? Could, is God's grace really for me? Or, or am I, or am I shut out because of, of what has happened to me? Or you might consider yourself a foreigner in, in, this, in these days and think, you know, uh, if I fear the Lord, is, it, is will God really accept me? Uh, now, uh, one of the things that we see is that all throughout the Old Testament, the answer is is yes. Uh, it is not meant to be an exclusion, even even in the uh, even in the Pentateuch. This it's not it's not meant to be an absolute exclusion uh, from the grace of God. We see this, for instance, with with Ruth, the Moabite, with with Rahab, both outsiders, and yet brought in to uh, the family of God through their fear of the Lord. And here Isaiah is saying something very similarly uh, to the eunuch, to the foreigner: uh, "You will still have life." Now, as we think about eunuchs, we, we do not have um, we do not have many eunuchs in the same way as what, what would have been true in Isaiah's day. Uh, the, the idea between, behind the eunuch not being included in the house of God, being shut out from the house of God, was uh, very simply that his condition made him permanently unclean. That there is this, this, this principle of death on the basis of what has happened to him, that it's not fitting to be in the presence of the God of life, and therefore, at least from the... The public assembly of the people of God in the temple or the, or the tabernacle—they, uh, they, it would just not—it was just wasn't fitting for, for them to, to, to be there. And then again, this would have been this would have been something that would be, would, uh, would have caused this question: You know, am I am I permanently shut out from the kingdom of God? Now, again, we don't have eunuchs in the same way, but this would apply to anyone who has had something done to them that makes you feel unclean. Or if you yourself have done something to yourself that makes you feel unclean, and I think this is uh, particularly related to sexual sins today. Uh, as you think about uh, very many people who are, for instance, if a woman who's raped uh, will feel unclean and feel that they that they cannot come. That, you know that there's this, this this unworthiness that you that you have, uh, or perhaps even. Uh, if there is uh, some guilt in the action, if there is, uh, you know, fornication, that sort of thing, there can be the sense in which you recognize rightly that it does make you unclean. It does, it, and that is uh, that is the case. It does make you unclean, and the eunuch is is a, an example of this kind of phenomenon. Now, in today's world, there is there is even uh, an even more serious application that is more directly related to the eunuch, and that is particularly those who are transgender today. Uh, there can be, uh, I think, and I think we're going to see this much more, those who will begin to wonder, you know, I have done so much to myself, and I am a eunuch, that I, I, I cannot... Reproduce? I'm I'm castrated. I'm, I'm I'm I have no ability now, and there can be this you know, and and even the, the damage can be irreversible. It is irreversible. Same thing with the eunuch in Isaiah 56. There's nothing you can do very often, and then the question then would be, well, what hope is there? What what reasons are even for life at this point, if I have all of this, uh, all of this this pain, all of this damage, and I have no hope of of the recovery in this life? The answer is given in Isaiah 56 verses three and following, three to five, that to the eunuch there will be a life that will be better. There will be a blessing that will be given to you in the gospel that is far better. You'll notice even what, what is said is that the, the blessing that comes to the eunuch is, is uh, exactly fitted to solve the problem and the misery that comes from him being a eunuch. This is to say, what is the one thing a eunuch will never be able to have? is children. He'll have, he have no remembrance of his name either. The only, the only remembrance of his name he has is his children. He's cut off from him. The, only, the, the, the main blessing that is cut off from him is his children. But notice, notice the, the grace of the gospel that is given in verses 3 to 5. The, do not let the son of the foreigner who is, has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord has utterly separated me from his people, nor let the eunuch say, Here I am, a dry tree. It is no offspring, a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name, a place and a name. The name would have been cut off. They're going to have no place because of of having no children. And it will be better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. It is to say exactly the thing, exactly the thing, at the exact point where the misery of, and the effects of sin have creeped in. What is promised in the gospel is God will give you the exact thing that will make up for it, but not in even a, tempor- in a temporal way. It will be everlasting. It will be everlasting. It is a wonderful thing to be able to pass on your name to the next generation, to have, to have a remembrance of your name. But the, the blessing of the gospel for all of those who are eunuchs today all of those who have given themselves even to these uh, perverse sins, that the moment you turn, if you will but turn, be faithful to the Lord, keep His Sabbath, repent of your sins, God will give to you something that is better than what anyone could have even if they had the biggest family in the world. You, you will have an everlasting name and brothers and sisters, such is the hope of the gospel. It may never be realized in this life. It may still be true. You know, those, those who are, have done the, the chemical castration or whatever else and are in that sense eunuchs, Uh, it it may be irreversible to the end of life, but the the hope of the gospel is this, that there is a resurrection from the dead and there is a house that you will be brought into if you will but turn. And in that house, you will have a name that will will never be cut off. You'll never have to say, I'm a dry tree. You'll never have to say it because God will give you uh, this great blessing. But it's not even only the eunuch. Isaiah says, even to the foreigner, Can the foreigner be accepted? The answer is yes. Again, look at Ruth and Rahab. Now, what would be an example of a foreigner? Perhaps you would be someone who is born outside of the church, and perhaps you think, you know, uh, and in, in you know in the Reformed Church and in every church, that it should be the case that you rejoice in God's generational blessings, the way in which He shows mercy and grace to the thousandth generation. Uh, I rejoice to see my kids praising the Lord, that they can look back and see that their father praised the Lord, and I'm hoping that their children will praise the Lord, and so on and so forth. But it may be the case that you're not like that. Maybe you were born outside the church, and you and you think, you know. Uh, maybe you're even ashamed from where you come from in terms of, of your heritage and, and that sort of thing and the sins that were, that were done and that are committed in your family. And the question then could be, you know, will God accept someone like me, uh, a foreigner in the house of God? Can I be accepted? And the answer that Isaiah is giving here is yes. To anyone who keeps my Sabbaths, who keeps my covenants, who who refrains from doing what is wrong, who fears the Lord, to anyone like that, they will be accepted. Remember the words of Psalm 45 that we looked at a few weeks ago in the morning sermons on the Messianic prophecies. Remember that great exhortation that is given to the daughter, to the, 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 the bride of the Messiah, the people of God. Listen, O daughter, give attention and incline your ear. Forget your people in your father's house, and then the king will desire your beauty. This is, this is the promise of the gospel. The moment you turn, it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what's been done to you. It doesn't matter if you seem like a, a dry tree. It doesn't matter if you appear to be an outsider. If you will but turn, if you will but turn, the grace of God is yours, and it is yours from the moment you turn. The moment you turn, all of these blessings are yours. You'll notice even further the way these blessings are described for the foreigner. Even uh, even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make joyful in my house of prayer." Now we've had the opportunity to mention this theology of the mountain of God in numerous sermons, uh, particularly in the, uh, Matthew and other places. You'll remember that this, th- this bringing to the mountain of God is language of, of absolute salvation. It is the language of everlasting salvation, the presence of God. It is um, the language of being with God forever. Isaiah himself has spoken in, in Isaiah chapter 25 of the mountain where God will swallow up death forever forever. Where he will make a feast for all of his people, where they will say, "This is our God; we have waited for him," and they will rejoice in God's presence forever. And now Isaiah is saying in chapter 56 that if you are an outsider, if it seems like you're an outsider, and say, "You know, how could I have an inheritance among the people of God?" This is this this is the inheritance. This is it. This is the the culmination and climax of it. We're not hoping for anything more than this. And what what Isaiah is saying is, if you feel like an outsider. You have this. You have the fullness of the inheritance. You will be brought to that very mountain. You will be made to rejoice in God's house of prayer. You who may have, you may have thought you were excluded from the house in, in days past, but God will bring you to that mountain where that house is built, and he will bring you into that house of prayer, and you will rejoice in the presence of God forever. That is the offer that is given in the gospel. It is a call to those who are overlooked, who are rejected, and in And in this gospel, what God says is, these are the ones that I care for. These are the ones that I care for. If you will but turn. You'll notice even the way the 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 verse ends is with uh, language that we find all throughout the prophets of the return from exile, uh, which is always in the prophets, always related to uh, the full salvation that would come in the days of the Messiah. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel says, Yet I will gather to him others besides those who are gathered to him. The outcasts of Israel, are those who went out into exile, uh, it, it, Isaiah is saying, I will bring those back. But notice what, what he is also saying is that there may be other people who appear to be outcasts, like eunuchs and foreigners. And the promise of the gospel is, in the day when the Lord Jesus Christ comes, in the day of the true return from exile, I'm not just going to bring back those who are exiled from Israel. I'm going to be bringing eunuchs, I'm going to be bringing foreigners, and I'm going to be bringing all of those who are outcasts into my kingdom, and they will rejoice forever. They will rejoice forever. Now, the the fact that this is given in return from exile language shows that this is speaking about, this is ultimately going to be fulfilled in the days of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a prophecy is ultimately going to be fulfilled in the days of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is a blessing then for all of those who will but turn. Now, you'll notice, it's important to note with regard to this entire passage, it is not for every outsider without exception. It is not for every outsider without exception. It is not indiscriminately on every eunuch and foreigner. You'll notice that there's a qualification that runs through the entire thing, which is if you are faithful, it is for those who are faithful who will receive this. Now, the, the implicit in this is, that, is this glorious message. If you turn, no matter where you come from, you will be saved. One of the other things though, that we see all throughout Isaiah is that if you are the, the most in of all of the insiders and you are not faithful, you will not have any of the blessings this is to say, it, it does not ultimately matter what you are outwardly. This is what the, the point the Apostle Paul is making in Romans 2. He's saying, you know, the, the, the Jews, they, they hear of all the sins of all those Gentiles, and they say, well, look, we're, we're not like that because we are Jews. We are part of the people of God. But Paul says, you know, uh, a Jew is not one who is one outwardly. It's, it's one who is one inwardly, who, who truly has the law of God written on their heart. And the point that Isaiah is making is just the, the same thing. Uh, God will receive... Every single person, without exception, even the eunuch and the foreigner, two examples that are meant to be so far out there, that if they are included, then everyone has to have confidence. Everyone is included. He will receive every single person who is faithful. Who is faithful? He will receive none who are not faithful. He will receive not a single person. The Lord Jesus Christ says this over and over again in the Gospel of Matthew, as we've seen that there are many who are brought from east and west. They recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into the outer darkness. You you cannot rely upon the fact that you are born an insider, that you are even a son of the covenant. It's a great and wondrous thing. I rejoice that my children are such, but you cannot rely on that. No one is saved because they are a member of the covenant. It's a glorious thing to be a part of the covenant. There are real blessings that even pertain to salvation. They're even related to salvation in a real way. Even given all that, no one is ever saved because they are a member of the covenant. You are saved because you yourself fear the Lord. You yourself fear the Lord. And nobody else uh, else can believe for you. It is only for those who are faithful to God. It is for those who enjoy the Sabbath. It is for those who enjoy the worship of God. It is for those who have in their hearts, as the psalmist says, the highway to Zion, who say, better is one day in your courts, O Lord, than a thousand days elsewhere. This is the blessing. These are the things that were promised of uh, of the days of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, this is the reason why it is so significant that in the proclamation of the gospel in the early chapters of Acts, in Acts chapter 8, that Philip, the evangelist, comes and meets by the road an Ethiopian eunuch, a foreign eunuch, who fits both of the descriptions of what Isaiah is saying here in Isaiah 56. And he's reading from the book of Isaiah, reading just a few chapters earlier in Isaiah 53. He's reading those very words, these words, and he says, and he asks, you know, who, who, is, this, who is this person speaking of? I, I, I need some help. And Philip explains to him the gospel from there. He believes on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, what then prevents me from being baptized? What prevents me from being baptized? Implicitly, could it be that I'm a eunuch? Could it be that I'm an Ethiopian so far from the kingdom of God? And the answer is no. Philip baptizes him because the Ethiopian eunuch is in fact to be received into the kingdom of God if he will but turn. Brothers and sisters, this is the story of the gospel. This is the, the, this is the true uh, Cinderella story where those who are overlooked, the downcast, the miserable, uh, those who have sinned greatly and feel like, like they have no hope, who are wondering if God can receive them. This is the story of, uh, th- this is the Cinderella story that we find in the scriptures. Everyone, who is in that situation, who turns, all of them will be saved. And that salvation, as we have seen, is a new creation where you will be with God, with blessings that will never end. He will bring you into his house of prayer, which will be for all peoples, and you will rejoice in him from this time forth and forevermore. Uh, Brothers and sisters, may it be that God would grant you the grace, so to be faithful to him in all things. Let's pray. Oh, Father, how we do thank you for uh, this word and for the gospel. Lord, how thankful we are for the grace that we see in it, that even the furthest out is still, is still brought near by the blood of your Son. And there is no one who can be so far out that the blood of Christ would not cleanse. That the moment any person turns, that there is, in fact, full redemption in his name. Lord, how we do thank you for this. And yet, Lord, we do also see in our own hearts such a weakness with regard to our faithfulness to you. Lord, may it be that you would grant us to be faithful in the way that Isaiah is describing here. That we would not rest in our privileges of being insiders, O Lord, but that we would rest upon you that we would recognize that the blessing that you, that you give to those who are members of the covenant are meant to lead to the fear of your name. May it be, O oh Lord, that we would not rest on those externals, but that you would, would grant to us a greater fear of your name. And may it be that we would join in with our brothers and sisters who are eunuchs and foreigners, that we would join in with them and zealously keep your covenant and keep your Sabbath from being profaned. Lord, may it be that you would do this for the praise and glory of your name. That we, might, that we might rejoice in the grace that you show to the lowliest of the low. For we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.